love, social convention, gender roles, and religion. Charlotte Bronte's most famous novel challenges ideas on all these topics, and we are here to discuss it. I'm Charlene. And I'm Mike. And this is Jane Eyre Files. Chapter 17 Precious Yet Poignant Pleasure Hello, husband. Hello, my... <laughs> Pregnant pause? <laughs> yeah, you can't see. I was biting my lip. Oh. And you couldn't see okay, that. Okay, and you were about to walk out of the room. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. You can hear my... The, uh, it's going to come up a little bit. I, I don't know if you said I... I was flipping through it. This chapter, there's not a lot of interaction between Rochester and Jane. Mm. So we don't really get an opportunity for pet names. There could have been one, but right. we, we get denied that at the end of there the chapter. There was one in Rochester's head, I'm sure. Yeah. It was probably the most brilliant one that he's had in the entire book. <laughs> the most romantic. Yes, of course. And we're not going to hear about it. And I looked through the rest of it. I think I think Adele refers to Jane as Mademoiselle. And I'm like, I already called you Mademoiselle <laughs> once. But there's nothing else other than, other than phrases that were used to describe Blanche, which I didn't want to use. No, that's, they weren't kind phrases, right? Well, it just, <laughs> again, I'm trying to stick with just Jane. Right, but, right. Yeah, so. Okay, yeah, this is a, this is a long chapter. Long chapter. I was going to ask you, should it, have, should it have been broken up into two? Because it's got like almost two distinct parts, or at least. That's true. The, you know, the, the traveling party shows up, and then you're like, maybe they could have taken a chapter break and then come back for the first evening of the with the party and then Jane, yeah. being, Jane being down I mean, in the, the drawing room. The first room. part of this chapter it follows on from the, the last half of the previous chapter pretty well. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, if it was broken up between those two, it probably wouldn't have much of a chapter about Jane just continually thinking, trying to restrain her emotions and yeah. keep herself in check. So, I think I'm just, I'm just saying that I, w- I wish I didn't have to do so much reading for this one because there was a lot and it was, there was a lot and I, I had a tough time reading it because I had to reread some of the stuff because again, Charlotte's writing is like that. It's very fluid. It's very languid. Yeah. Is that the right word I'm looking for? Languid. Languid. Hmm, is that, is that a good use? Of, that it's, it's very flowery. It's very, I got to go back. It's very, it's deep. Yeah. And I, I don't, and plus, and I think I looked it up and there was like, I think 17 or 18 footnotes in this chapter alone. Oh, okay. So I kept yeah. having to go back to the to the back to be like, okay, what is she saying? I don't Chris? think my copy has footnotes though when oh, I'm currently reading, but yeah. Yeah, I think there was at least seventeen or eighteen in, in, okay. in, my, in my copy. So yeah. Yeah, you got some research done. Yeah. <laughs> but that's again, what 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 does Spark Notes have to say about chapter seventeen? Well, chapter seventeen summary, it begins Rochester has been gone for a week and Jane is dismayed to learn that he may choose to depart for continental Europe without returning to Thornfield. According to Mrs. Fairfax, he could be gone for more than a year. A week later, however, Mrs. Fairfax receives word that Rochester will arrive in three days with a large group of guests. While she waits, Jane continues to be amazed by the apparently normal relations the strange, self-isolated Grace Poole enjoys with the rest of the staff. Jane also overhears a conversation in which a few of the servants discuss Grace's high pay, and Jane is certain that she doesn't know the entire truth about Grace Poole's role at Thornfield. Rochester arrives at last, accompanied by a party of elegant and aristocratic guests. Jane is forced to join the group, but spends the evening watching them from a window seat. Blanche Ingram and her mother are among the party's members, and they treat Jane with disdain and cruelty. Jane tries to leave the party, but Rochester stops her. He grudgingly allows her to go when he sees the tears brimming in her eyes. 
he informs her that she must come into the drawing room every evening during his guest's stay at Thornfield. As they part, Rochester nearly lets slip more than he intends. Good night, my, he says, before biting his lip. Again, you can't see me. I'm biting my lip. <laughs> yeah, that's a great ending to this chapter, but there's a lot to go through before we discuss that part. Again, we just said, it, should this chapter have been broken into two, and yet Sparknotes felt felt comfortable two putting, making two paragraphs in their summary. Sure, right? yeah, two paragraphs, yeah. Well, there, I mean, there's a lot going on, but doesn't make it as as interesting unless unless we unless charlotte had chosen to put more mystery into what's going on with grace pool and why she's there and what the servants know because mm-hmm. again you you wonder what do the servants know do they know why she's being allowed to stay when apparently she may have set fire to mr rochester's bed or does does she have some secret relations with rochester that jane doesn't know about <laughs> maybe arsonism is not such a bad thing in victorian no. England. if she can clean and cook very well then maybe she could stay <laughs> and curtains she's really good with the curtains oh, right yeah, yeah. and her needlepoint mended curtains are on point yeah and so i wonder <laughs> yeah and I, again it's you're reading this book and again when you first gave it to me i had this image in my head of a more of a jane austen type uh, romance oh, but then there, yeah. there's that element of like i said the gothic elements we're going to keep using that term again and now we're getting a little bit of that sense of mystery. Now the reader's getting pulled into it because something's going on. Because before it was always like, what's that What's that laughing? Who's this person? Oh, it's Grace. And then, yeah, there's that scene where it's like, uh-oh, Ixnay, Angel is <laughs> is listening in. And then they stop talking about, about Grace whenever Jane sees them. And it's like, oh, are there any other people that have been in this house that they have to keep certain secrets from as well that mm-hmm. you know other previous except were, were there other remind me again were there other governesses did did fairfax mention it at all governess i Gover- no, yeah governai governesses i don't think so though she did a ldl was just just brought over i think so she just had sophie her her nurse to take care of her yeah but i feel like you know at, I, of course i know the secret and we all know what's happening but i don't want to spoil it too much in mm. case anyone doesn't know who's listening but I do think that I do think that the servants know know a certain part of the story, but not the whole story. Okay, and I think that's probably true for as Mrs. Fairfax. I feel like she knows something yeah. that she and she doesn't doesn't tell Jane because probably Mr. Rochester told her not to say anything, but mm-hmm. she doesn't know the whole story, so that she can't properly warn Jane when the time comes. Okay, yeah, that's a good point. And like I said, Grace is a fellow servant, right? Yeah. So I'm sure that it's kind of hard. For these people to work in this house, well, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess with Jane it is, but the mm-hmm. idea that 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 you kind of want to know what Grace's situation is, but maybe they're withholding that from Jane, for, or just because it might be a little bit odd, or yeah, I don't scare know, scare her off. Yeah, yeah. Even but then, though she's probably, I mean, if I was in the situation, maybe I would have been scared off at something if I wasn't falling in love with the master of the house. Uh, but yeah, this, that this fact that, oh, there's a mysterious fire that was set. I don't know if I want to stay here anymore. Am I safe? But I'm wondering, like, would it, would it not have scared off the other servants when they first oh. learned about what but was going on? They didn't know, right? Or they didn't know it was, uh, it was just accident, according to Mr. Rochester, this fire. So, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, we can, like I said, that's, that's one of the reasons that I think this chapter maybe could have been divided into is that we have a lot of the stuff with the continuing situation with with grace and then we also have the fire that's raging uncontrollably <laughs> in jane's heart well yes so you know the romance again comes into play in this chapter this is going to be 
the best part of this book for me is the romance. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm eating all this up. And in this chapter, Jane is really struggling with her resolve uh, to not care about Rochester's actions and whereabouts. And she's not really doing a great job. No, no but she, she does bring the reader into her struggle by how she describes her emotions. And I feel like it's, it's fun that she describes it in this like detached way as someone observing these feelings and questioning herself and then telling herself get it together it's it's a <laughs> interesting way for her to to present her thoughts to the reader yeah and again it's like the isolation of being in that house i think you know there's a lot of people there but it's also a pretty big house and i feel like she's kind of she's had a lot of time to kind of come to come to grips with these feelings i wonder if it's just it you know sure she's teaching adele and all that, but she's also probably got some personal time. It's just yeah. a big, quiet house, and you can't help but think yeah. about the master of the house when, <laughs> while he's not there. And she might not have a lot of people to talk to. You know, she talks to Mrs. Fairfax. You know, she can't speak as comfortably with the servants, probably. Mm-hmm. So she just has her own time, and she walks around, and she probably reads, and and she thinks about Mr. Rochester. Yeah, <laughs> and this is all happening so quickly too. It's like. You know, before it was, there was nothing. And then all of a sudden, I mean, even before the fire, it was very slow. And then the fire just all of a sudden shot it up mm-hmm. to where it's like, now she's crazy about him. And yeah. it's, and it's, it's interesting to read the way that, that Charlotte describes it as well. It's just, it's so overt. Like she's not even trying to hide it. Mm-hmm. Like, this is how I feel. This, this is what, when I see him, this is what I'm looking for. You know, it's, oh, yeah, yeah I, I was not expecting that as I was going into reading. And I thought it would be more, like you said, fighting the feelings, trying to find something else to think about you know you yeah. got to figure if both parties pl- try to play it cool right jane and rochester are both doing that but then know? yeah, it's, it's jane is not self-deluding herself anymore at a certain point she's just like okay i fall in love with him what but am i gonna do about it he likes blanche nothing yeah you know, and then we I'm will just go- gonna be sitting here quietly yeah and then it kind of leads into the next part that, that, that takes up the second half of the chapter which is the party uh rochester's party has now arrived at thornfield and I wanted to ask you a couple of things. Well, first of all, I, I just, I really love how Charlotte describes the preparations for this party. Mm-hmm. Like it goes on for a couple of pages and it's like, it gives you an idea of how huge Thornfield is. Like yeah. I, I, what I love about this book is how vivid, there's that word again, I always use vivid, uh, the descriptions are, you know, that goes into each intricate detail, how we got to prepare, how they've had to hire new staff, oh, yeah. you know, and it's like days go by and the next day we had to do this and the next day we had to do that. So much cleaning. Yeah. And Terrible. I mean, but it, I mean, I'm sure I've, I've seen, you know, a few period piece films with you and I understand like when someone travels in, it's like, they're not going to drop in and then take off. They're going to stay for a while. And that's mm-hmm. must've been what it was like. I think I find that so fascinating how, how cool that must've been to live in that era where someone's going to come over, they're going to stay for a week and you've got yeah. extra room in the East wing, you know, <laughs> and then you're just like, Oh, can every night we'll it's go nice have, to have a big house party. now. Yeah, <laughs> we'll go have dinner. My servants will make all this. We'll hang out in the drawing room when we're done. And it's just, mm-hmm. it makes you want to be kind of at one of those parties. And what I find, uh, what I wanted to ask you actually was I noticed that when the party is arriving, yeah. Jane is looking through the window, but yet she's hiding. And I, I didn't quite understand that. I want to get that from a female perspective. Why do you think Jane was looking through the window but didn't want to be seen as the party was arriving? Well, I think, you know, you're an extrovert and Jane is an introvert. So from that's an a, introvert... That's a cop-out. That's a cop-out. <laughs> from an introvert perspective, I can, I can understand not wanting to be seen, maybe be remarked upon or have to be drawn out to say something. You know, you want to observe and then take, you know, maybe get your impressions, get your thoughts in order. 
but mm-hmm. from also from just more from Jane's perspective, she's never been a part of a, you know, grand group of people. Like she probably wouldn't know how to act. She just feels awkward and about nervous. So I, I mm-hmm. wouldn't necessarily want to go out in that kind of a situation. No. So I think Jane is probably feeling the same way of just, you know, she wants to just have some, some alone time to kind of process what's happening mm. and throw on top of that, the fact that now she has to watch Mr. Rochester with this other woman and maybe she can't control her facial features, you know? <laughs> so she has to, you know, she again, needs more time to process. She needs mm. to, to spend some time away but I would think, like I said, if her passions are simmering, she'd be so excited to see him again, unless she's just trying to steal a glance. You know, yeah, you don't she want, is. You don't, you don't well, want she's to... observing yeah. from afar, and and you know, maybe if Mister Rochester had come up to her, or said something to her, what what would her reaction have been? Would she have stammered and blushed? And <laughs> well, you're, just, you're saying she shouldn't have waved through the window and then hoped maybe he would have seen her and then given her like a and wink, pushed Blanche away. <laughs> yeah, there you go, like a little wink or a doff of his cap, and so he's oh, so excited thank to be you for home. Saving my life, Jane. I remember. Yeah, yeah, remember me. I've got. I'm, I'm really good with a pitcher of water, and the, you know, I. No, I, that's why. I was, yeah, I, I'm. I was a little, just a little surprised by that. Yeah. But then no. the party has now arrived. Yeah, and Jane really breaks down these characters, these people who come into the house. And she's really, she's brief with her words, but she's very unsparing in her honesty. And, mm. you know, I feel like this is... Is, is she judgmental at all, do you see, think? See, I think that you think it might be... Okay, well, on one hand, obviously, there's there, these people are complex people and they're not just one note. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I feel like Jane is a very truthful narrator and we can really trust what she says so that... The picture that she paints of these people is probably pretty honest okay. and not not necessarily that she's being judgmental or trying to project anything off off on them. But uh, so these people are, for the most part, just sort of uninteresting or insincere and not necessarily people you want to get to know. And, you know, on a certain level, I guess Jane is also comparing Mr. Rochester's interactions with them to his interactions with her and she's probably just much more interesting than they seem to be to to mr rochester she gets very possessive i've noticed in this chapter yeah she talks about like he's more like me than he is like them (laughs) like you know it's one of these weird things where it's like she she's trying to will this romance into existence where oh. she's like, he comes from that world, and I don't come from that world, but I really think he's like, he's more like my <laughs> world than he is like this. He doesn't belong with them, you That's know. That's true. Because she, I mean, she gets I, really I, nosy, and she gets really nosy with them, and then, yeah. And, and then, yeah I, 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 for lack of a better word, I'll say just she's very possessive of him in this chapter. I could understand where that that you know Jane might be making herself feel better by saying that, but then on the other hand, I'm like, well. It is true. <laughs> well, yeah. And then you got the whole, and like the whole Ingram family, you know, especially that I feel like the way that Charlotte Bronte describes the Ingrams, she kind of, I, th- I think she almost per- purposely describes them as like kind of posh and, and rude, like the antithesis yeah. of Jane. Like you want to have, you know, there's a, there's a term that we, I learned when I was in film school and took a, I took a class that was all about romance and desire in the movies. Mm. And we broke down a, Harlequin romance novel in the first week of class. My teacher wanted to show us what, what the stock characters of Harlequin romance oh, novels. Okay. And the movie that she showed us was Pretty Woman. Mm-hmm. Because she said Pretty Woman is a Harlequin romance novel on screen. Mm-hmm. And one of the terms that I've stuck with since then, 25 years later, is a foil. 
Oh. And the foil is the term they always use for what, who is the character that's keeping the two people apart. Mm-hmm. It's usually a significant other of one of the, of one of member of the, of the couple, yeah. you know? And so I feel like Blanche is kind of serving as the foil. And sometimes, you know, you watch enough movies, or I guess when you're in a situation, you read books. I always have an issue sometimes when authors or film directors will make the foil just so dastardly. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, you want the two characters to end up together yeah you know why not make you know just be like he's not interested in this other woman any longer and he wants you mm-hmm. you don't have to make the other one woman just so evil <laughs> that you you find yourself like the example i used to always use was i doubt you've seen it but the adam sandler movie the wedding singer oh okay that's the one with drew barrymore and drew barrymore's boyfriend is just the biggest jerk <laughs> in the whole movie where you're just like what is she doing with this guy right. the whole time and you and, and so you've it's like you don't have to you don't have to do that, you know. Yeah. Why, why why can't that person just also like them? Why not just make Blanche just some debutante who's who's born into this rich family and she, you know, it is what it is, but she's just not that interesting or she's a little bit more boring or Rochester's connection with Jane is that much stronger. Mm-hmm. You don't have to just make her so arrogant that <laughs> where the readers are just like, "Oh, by Jingram." You know, get go Rochester's Jane is so much better for you, you know. Yeah. I I do think that some of the adaptations, especially the the more modern ones, will tend to paint Blanche in a little bit more of a sympathetic way, showing that, you know, she's a woman and it's it's also a difficult time for her where she probably has to marry uh, money because she doesn't have any of her own. And if she doesn't get married, she's not going to she's not going to be able to support herself. So, mm. you know, she's put in this position where. Oh, Mr. Rochester is looking for someone? Well, I guess I'm going to have to play up to him or something. Mm. Isn't that the Bennett sisters situation in Pride and Prejudice? Yes. All those girls need to get married because their father is not going to be able to inherit money for them. And they're not going to be able to inherit. So, yeah. That's the time. That's the time period. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, I, I don't know if I necessarily feel that much sympathy towards Blanche because I think that if she was... You know, she was unfortunately raised probably pretty spoiled. She has a lot of great talents. She's very good at playing piano. She probably speaks French very well. She's smart. She's pretty. But, you know, all, all of that has only given her a sense of entitlement and fed her ego. So, you know, yeah. she's not probably the nicest person. I could see her holding court at a party like this. Yeah. Years ago, I had a friend one time who told me he wanted to learn how to play the piano just so that if he was ever at a dinner party and there was a piano there, he could just sit down and and wow people. Oh. (laughs) And that was what I loved about this chapter was just that that whole scene when they're in the drawing room. I miss parties like that. It's a huge party where you just, there's nothing else to do but talk. And in this Mm -hmm. situation, there's no television. There's no, you know, they're not going to turn the radio on. They're just going to sit and, and talk. Play cards. Yeah. Work the room. <laughs> yeah. And I, and, you know, and I, it makes you think like, I kind of wish I was at that party. Oh, well, I had a question for you. If you were at this party and you had to speak to one of the members, who would you speak to? Well, I wanted to go a little bit off the board just because I'm that kind of person. I'm the extrovert, right? Right. So this is, this is present day me, or is this yeah. going to be Victorian Lord Michael <laughs> of, uh, the Calvington, um, but I, my first thought would have been Colonel Dent mm-hmm. because I think, you know, sometimes maybe his military stories could be enthralling. Oh, depending on, especially okay, because yeah. of that era. Now, I don't know. I mean, my father was in the, was in the Navy, so I know a little bit about military actions and how things work mm-hmm. on the base, you know, but I don't know what it was like back then. Yeah. You know, 
Charlene, you and I just watched the the film Cromwell, all about Oliver oh. Cromwell and King Charles II. Yes. King Charles, Charles I, excuse me. Charles I. And you see battle scenes in there. They're just, it's, yeah, it's like watching Braveheart. Like you just seen guys on horses with swords. Yeah, hacking so, on each other. Yeah, and so I'm wondering, what is that, was Colonel Dent in the middle of something like that? Oh. He, I mean, I'm sure he's got, he's got, maybe they got rifles and stuff, but I'm wondering. Or he's one of the, the colonels that just stands in the back and just kind of is sipping his tea while he's mm. watching the, the men fight. Orders the grunts to go to do the, yeah. to do all the dirty work. But yeah, so I'm thinking, yeah, maybe he might have some interesting stories. But at the same time, like if he's hobnobbing with high society, mm-hmm. and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call them high society for the time being, you know, um, I wonder if maybe he might exaggerate his experiences a little <laughs> bit. I could see like well, somebody who's like retired from the military, who's now in, like I said, going into sure. high society, just being like, oh yeah, then I did this. And then we were in <laughs> Africa and we were surrounded well, on all sides. It will be interesting stories. Yeah. So I'm going to go off the board and I'm going to pick a name that you probably did not see coming. Yes. And that is the person that I would talk to at this party. Okay. It's Sir George. <laughs> it's very spe- more specific than I was expecting. <laughs> yes. Sir George, I think would be a good choice because he's described very briefly he's yeah. a, he, as a country gentleman. Uh-huh. Which makes me think that maybe he's a little bit more down to earth. He's oh, yeah. a little bit more That's relatable. True. Yeah. You know, especially I mean, I don't know, is Victorian is Lord Michael of De Calbington am I am I come from money or am I just am I the country gentleman? Like, oh, I, I don't know. Yeah. Whatever so, you want, I guess. It says and the way that Charlotte describes it very briefly is that, you know, he seems like he's letting everyone else do the talking. And I think that either he's shy and he could use someone like me to converse with to get him out of his shell. Mm-hmm. I always pride myself if I go to a party and there's someone that's not engaged, especially if that person doesn't know a lot of the other people at the party, I will find something to talk about that right. is not a con- the shared interest that we have with the rest of the people at the party. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm like, I could be the one to get Sir George out of chatting his shell? out of his yeah. shell. Or maybe the reason that he's letting everyone else do the talking is because he finds them all boring and pompous. <laughs> and in which case, I would be like a welcome relief. Oh, yeah. You'd relate to him. Okay. So me and Sir George are going to chat it up in the corner. Okay. That's a great answer. I mean, th- th- it depends. Like, am I am I trying to pick up these women? Am I a married <laughs> uh, man in well, this story? Well, you can't talk to Blanche Ingram because she's spoken for. Yeah. So you have the other unattached I, ladies, is, is Lady Char- Is Lady Charlene working the room as well? <laughs> and so then I'm just kind of doing my thing. And so I'm like, then on that case, I'll go talk to Sir George. I'm not going to... Besides, none of these women are... I don't know if there is... Interesting. Maybe it might be more physically physical attraction. You're going to just try to hit them up. You're going to talk to all of them and be like, "Oh, never mind." It's like speed dating. You're just going to work work the room and go one. No, no, no. How about that governess in the corner? Yeah, the governess. That's who I want to talk to. I want to talk to Jane. Yeah. But anyways, anyway, who so who are you, who are you talking to, Charlene? Lady well, Charlene of DeKalbington. You were going to talk to Colonel Dent, and I was going to go take Mrs. Dent off to the side because. You know, Jane describes her as being very kind and she likes to talk about flowers. You know, I, I could listen to her tell me about flowers as opposed to Blanche, who was just trying to show off her knowledge. I'm here to get to know Mrs. Dent, could see what, what her life's been like. Yeah. I mean, my mother was a military wife, so I'm wondering if perhaps Mrs. Dent might also be tired of talking about <laughs> the war stories and stuff. And so True. Yes. she might want to chat up Lady Charlene. Yeah, and I'll tell her about the books I've read. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you one person that Lord Michael would not be talking to at this party, and that would be 
any of the women in the Ingram family because <laughs> yeah. of their thoughts on governesses, I thought was just, it's so, it's so rude. And it's just ridiculing someone who's within earshot like that. Yeah, it's I think extra it's, mean. Yeah. It's spirited. It, it makes, I would have immediately judged them on that point and said, I don't necessarily want to talk to that person the rest of the night. Yeah. I think you'd be in the minority though, because it does seem like governesses are supposed to be ridiculed or these, you know, these these kids who were taught by them, they're probably subjecting them to a lot of tricks and they don't really want to be taught by these women who don't have a lot of power probably mm-hmm. over them. So they're generally, these governesses are generally treated badly and we get to see that Jane is in a kind of a unique position at Thornfield where she is treated pretty well. Mm-hmm. And obviously she's treated very well by Mr. Rochester initially, where she, he's talking to her almost like an equal and telling her all these interesting stories. Yeah, we talked about this off the air, but I always thought like if you're in a classroom with the teacher, students aren't going to pick on the teacher because there's so many students in that classroom and maybe the teacher might punish the whole room. And yeah, so they or call on their parents. And... Some, yeah, whereas, and I asked you, I'm like, why are, why are kids picking on the governesses? And I think your thought was that they have no power. And that, yeah, they, the, the parents are probably not going to support the governesses and whatever they want to do. They can't really punish them or, you know, I don't know, wrap, you know, wrap their hands or something. They're, mm-hmm. they're probably not allowed to physically hurt students. Yeah. So it's they don't have any power, and it's unfortunate because then they are not very effective as teachers. Yeah, and they can't even fall in love. Yeah. That's what Blanche and her brother share, their story about how they interrupted a potential romance between one of her governesses and his tutor. And Miss uh, Mrs. Ingram, the mother, she cut it off right away. That mm. She said there are a thousand reasons why liaisons between governesses and tutors should never be tolerated a moment in any well-regulated house. Terrible. Yeah, and there's there's no romances budding in this house, right? <laughs> no, not there's too much. There's a mystery going on with Grace Poole. I can't have time for romance. Well, we do we do get to the end of this chapter. You know, Jane and Jane has been looking at Rochester, thinking a lot about him, but Rochester hasn't said anything to her, so she yeah. finally makes her escape. He's, I noticed the way that she describes the whole party scene. He's, she keeps making a note to say that he's not looking at me. Mm-hmm. He's not looking at me. Yeah. And, and, and I'm like, that's because that, he's a baller. <laughs> he's right. He, he just, knows what he's He knows. Doing. He's, he's, like I said, he may not be the most handsome as the way they describe it. I'm sure he has turned some heads. I'm sure he has attracted, yeah. you know, the female gender. It's, it's, he's, he's just playing the game, I guess. <laughs> You know, he's playing a game. That's for sure. But, but before we, because we're, we're now we're going to leave the drawing room and we're going to go to the hallway. But mm-hmm. there's something that I, I thought was, I, I wanted to ask you how this works. And this might be the first time in the book I've noticed this, that Charlotte describes the whole scene in the drawing room in the present tense. Did you notice that? Because everything is being, everything is being, that. everything is being recalled by Jane saying, then this happened and this happened. But when she's doing the party, she's just like, in comes the Ingrams. Mm. You know, like, it, it, was, it was very active. Very immediate. Like yeah. It's, it's very vivid, like you like to yeah. say. It wasn't the passive. It wasn't the passive. It was very active. Tense. It was just, it's just something I couldn't help but notice. I'm like, oh, wow. She, she switched into the mm-hmm. present tense for the drawing room scene. Yeah. It makes you feel like you're right there with her. Yeah, exactly. But now we're not in the drawing room. We're in the hallway because Rochester is going to finally, <laughs> finally be like, all right. He, he, he got he got called. His bluff got called. Where, right? Where yeah. he's just like, I'm going to ignore you. Yeah. And then the second that Jane's gone, he's just like, where'd Jane go? Because he's... Yeah. Jane, she, Jane he, has a little power here, but she doesn't quite know it. She's in his mind as much as he's in hers. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was I was wondering if you got that sense too of like this is just ratcheting up the romance and now as a reader you can tell, oh okay, Rochester, he he has some feelings for Jane. Yeah, like if it's it's obvious because it's like it's the story's told in the first person. So you know that Jane is gonna and like I mentioned in this chapter, she's very overt with how she feels mm-hmm. about him and she's telling the reader, This is this is what I'm how I feel. Whereas you don't we're not hearing it from Rochester's perspective, but then there are subtle hints being dropped that he does like her. Like he, he makes sure to tell Mrs. Fairfax, Jane's got to come to the drawing room. Yeah. You know. Mrs. Fairfax, I don't care if you don't want to come. It's yeah. only Jane. <laughs> yeah. And then Mrs. Fairfax also mentions that, oh, his, he's protracting his stay here. Mm-hmm. So it's like, he's okay. never here this long. That's yeah, funny. exactly. And so he's, he's, he's probably a proud man and he's not mm-hmm. going to just come out to Jane like that quickly. He's got a, he's got a reputation to uphold and maybe he's worried <laughs> that it might be a little odd. I'm twice her age and she's the governess. And right. so, but then now it's starting to come, it's starting to overwhelm him and to not enough so that he has to chase her out into the hallway. Mm, yeah. So I wanted to ask you, why do you think Rochester is playing this game with her? See, I don't know if it's a game. I, I feel like it's just, you know, why does anybody play hard to get when they're trying to determine if, you know, the object of their affection feels the same way? Mm. You know, I, we've all done that in some capacity, I feel like. Yeah. You know, where it's, you just, you don't, cause you don't want to seem so desperate. If you're, around, if you're in the room with someone you've got a crush on, you're just, you're, you're not going to just automatically be over there with them. Because if you are, <laughs> then it becomes so obvious and you might scare the other person off. Mm. And I think, you know, he, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a game, you know? And I, I mean, unless you're trying to say that maybe he's exerting some sort of power or dominance over her. And I don't, I don't necessarily feel that way. No, I feel like, yeah, Jane does have a lot of power here that she doesn't know about because... Like you said, even though I kind of think he's playing a game, but Mr. Rochester does not know what Jane's thinking. And, you know, if you look at the last chapter when he, you know, she saves his life, she he's trying to say something to her and she's not, she's, she just wants to get back to her room. She's not giving him any, any encouragement. And I think at that moment he's thinking, oh, I don't know. Does she have any feelings for me? Does she think the same way I do? Is she feeling this? Mm -hmm. fire and so that he then he thinks oh i'm gonna i'm gonna play a little jealous game here i'm gonna get blanche over here and pretend that i want to marry her and see what jane does and i'm gonna play out this little farce Mm -hmm. just so i can know make sure that i know that jane does have feelings for me i don't know that he's pretending he wants to marry her because that's pretty mean to blanche well i think it's more like he already knew blanche ahead of time yeah. And maybe he's trying to figure out if I can spend more time with Blanche, maybe I'll or realize that I don't have the same feelings for her that I do for Jane. Now that there's a new woman in my life, Ooh, let me go back. I don't know about Let that. me go back and spend <laughs> some more time with this other person. I feel like then... he picked Blanche for a reason. And the reason is that she's beautiful. And the other reason is that she's not nice. So if he's playing this trick on her, he doesn't feel too bad about it. Mm, I don't know. My point was, I don't think that he's bringing her around to make Jane jealous. Ooh, okay. I think he's bringing her around because okay. he's trying to rule it out. We're going to get to some chapters then <laughs> in the future. Well, we'll see. We'll come back to that. We'll table that discussion. Well, yeah. We'll put a pin in that. <laughs> was there any interesting context in this chapter, Charlene? So there's a moment where Blanche is trying to show off and get Miss Rogers' attention. So she says, Here then is a Corsair song. Know that I dote on Corsairs. Banditti. Any man with the devil in him. 
young men of today. They're such puny things. They're not fit to stir a step beyond Pa's Park Gate. Nor go so far without Mama's permission. <laughs> Creatures so absorbed with care of their own pretty looks. As if a man had anything to do with beauty. As if loveliness were not the special prerogative of woman. So I wanted to mention that The Corsair was a 1814 poem written by Lord Byron, who originated the idea of the Byronic hero. And mm. The Corsair is at the epitome of the Byronic hero. He's a pirate from the Barbary Coast in North Africa. It tells the story of Conrad, a wild and ruthless Aegean pirate whose only virtue is the love he feels for the gentle Medora. Or gentle Jane Eyre? Mm. There is nothing remarkable about his appearance, Byron tells us, but beneath the quiet exterior there is a passion, pride, and a defiant, calculated callousness, characteristics that set him apart from other men. Mm. Rochester, the Byronic hero there. Definitely describes part of of Rochester. So I thought that was a fun little reference that Charlotte Bronte throws in. Yeah. I mean, again, Charlotte's a very learned woman. Yes, and mm-hmm. obviously she was inspired by Lord Byron's writing, so this is mm-hmm. probably a little homage that she had to him. Yeah, I give her credit, because now as readers, you know, 175 years later, it might give us an opportunity to go back and discover some of these other things. Yeah. You know, to read the books that are referenced in this book, or some of the poems that are referenced in this. I'm sure you probably read some Byron after reading Jane Eyre? Probably, yeah, I yeah, you I think did. so. And, you know, how funny for Charlotte Bronte if she would have known that her novel is probably more enduring and popular than Lord Byron's works. Because, you know, you probably don't really know any of his works off the top of your head. Mm. I've heard the name. Yeah, that's true. Well, his life was pretty interesting. Yeah. So, Mike, I think you told me earlier that you unearthed something special for the podcast listeners, and I wanted to ask you to share with us well yeah you know there's a segment we like to do on this show from time to time that we call our casting call where we've found old footage of actors who may have yes. uh, auditioned for the role of rochester and the one that i found recently i, I had to pay a pretty penny on ebay because oh, no. oh, this was this was just it was buried apparently back in the 1950s walt mm-hmm. disney commissioned a animated version of jane Eyre. oh I did not know this. Yes, it would, it, you know, with Mickey and Minnie and Donald and Goofy. Oh like, my you know, god, that was so cute. Kind of like how they did the Three Musketeers story, right? You know, unfortunately, this story does not lend itself well to family film and a, mm. an animation for children. Yeah. So, and sadly, it has been buried alongside Song of the South. Oh, um, that that's the same level, I guess. Yeah, well, it just it was it was kind of a black eye on the studio. It wasn't a very po- popular film, oh. but I was able to find a copy and no. Way. I, yes, and so I figure we might as well reference it in this chapter because one of the more pivotal scenes and one of the mm-hmm. more passionate scenes in the Walt Disney adaptation mm-hmm. is that moment where Jane is leaving the drawing room and Rochester chases her down. You know, this is this is why well, I say Jane. It's it's Minnie. It's Minnie playing. It's Jane <laughs> Minnie Air. Minnie Air. Uh, I think it's what it's called. It's called Minnie Air. And <laughs> Mickey. Mickey Fairfax Rochester has to chase her out. It's, what? Tr- it's, it was, it's hard. It's, just, it's it, I'm, I'm not laughing. I'm getting really drawn into this animated right. version. I, I wish you all could see this. We'll try you to put the clip know, up Mickey on has our hidden depths. I'm sure. Yeah, and so so Minnie Air has 
left the drawing room because Mickey Fairfax Rochester is not paying her any attention. <laughs> and so he chases her out into the hallway and mm-hmm. he's basically like, you know, you have to come back to the drawing room. And of course, you know, she doesn't want to. She's a, she's a lady. She's a lady mouse. And he said, you know, he's like, but you know, what's wrong? Are you depressed? And, and yeah. she's like, and she says no. And then I'm going to play the clip here for you. Okay. But this is Mickey's little uh, soliloquy or oh monologue. God. I can't to, wait to hear this. Yeah. To her after she says, I'm too depressed and I, I want to leave. Here we go. Let me see if I can press play here. But I affirm that you are. So much depressed that a few more words would bring tears to your eyes. Indeed, they're there now, shining and swimming. And a bead has slipped from the lash and fallen onto the flag. If I had time and was not in mortal dread of some prating prig of a servant passing, I would know what all this means. Wow, like that's, that's incredible. Yes, How, we need to we need to find this. I'm we need, so we need to moved share by this. Mickey's interpretation of the role. Yes, he like I said, that mouse has some depth. <laughs> I wonder if Disney would want to do an adaptation now, revive this project. I I mean, it, there's plenty of content that they need to put up on Disney Plus, so I think they should. <laughs> All right, all right. Well, as I always like to do on this show, we always wrap up with a more meaningful passage or quote from the chapter. I will let Charlene lead off. Charlene, tell us, what was the most meaningful quote or passage that you found in this chapter 17? There's a lot of romance in this chapter, and I think from now on, for the most part, a lot of my quotes are going to deal with this romance because I love it so much. Mm -hmm. So here's a great romantic line. Jane says, I must then repeat continually that we are forever sundered. And yet, while I breathe and think, I must love him. Mm, Right to the point. Yeah. She just can't help it. She tried in the previous chapter to control her feelings, and now she's just letting it go. Mm -hmm. And she's accepting it because it's natural. Like, this this is just the way she is, and she cannot help it. Yeah. And again, we've talked about it many times, but this is all new to her, Mm -hmm. and I'm sure it she, try, she has to try to figure out, is this a good thing or not? Especially with the the employer-employee relationship. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's overwhelming her. And, and it's, it, and the it's fact making that for it's, a riveting read. It's just a hopeless love because she's accepting that she's in love with him. She has also accepted that there's nothing that can come of it. So she's just going to have to deal with her feelings. And she acknowledges that their connection is on the soul level. So mm-hmm. romance, I love it. Yeah, I think I mentioned it to you as well. Like... There's a lot of good quotes in this chapter that summarize their relationship, that mm-hmm. summarize, her, summarize her feelings. And I actually had two to pick from. And so I'll give you the one that I, I went with a little, that was I felt a little bit stronger to me. But they're all from like the same couple of pages. Oh, right. Okay. And, and I think my quote is actually kind of a, along those same lines where Jane is kind of coming to grips with this and also trying to figure out if it's not a good thing. Mm. And she says... No sooner did I see that his attention was riveted on them that I might gaze without being observed than my eyes were drawn involuntarily to his face. I could not keep their lids under control. They would rise and the irids would fix on him. I looked and had an acute pleasure in looking, a precious yet poignant pleasure, pure gold with a steely point of agony, a pleasure like what the thirst-perishing man might feel who knows the well to which he has crept is poisoned yet stoops and drinks divine drafts nevertheless. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> she's 
she knows that it's probably not the best idea. Yeah. But she just can't help herself. Yeah. She just, just she describes this love that she's feeling in a very unique way where it's it's hurting her, but she can't help it. Yeah. And it's really, really, really beautiful. Yeah. Again, like I said, I did not know what to expect when I went into this book. I thought it was going to be this stuffy period drama and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> not a Harlequin romance novel, but along those lines. And it's, it is. It's just, it's a captivating page turner. It's just, you know, slowly watching these, these feelings and these passions inside her simmer. Yeah, and, and you're invested in that? Yeah, and oh. she ain't, she ain't going to quench them with a pitcher of water this time. <laughs> it's going to take more than a pitcher of water. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. This really helps us grow and reach new listeners. If you want to talk Jane Eyre with me online, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at AirGuide. That's E-Y-R-E. And if you want to hear more from me, I host my own podcast called Out of Touchstone, where my good friend Chad and I discuss all the films that Disney produced for their Touchstone Pictures label. You can also find me on Twitter at Mike DeKalb. Thank you and farewell for the present. I got this, I got this, I got this.